Hello, dear friends. So near, yet so far. I've spoken so much lately of my own fears and my own struggles, and I realize how selfish this is. I know, and I apologize. But it is a podcast, and I am the only creature on this podcast, so it's so easy to fall into selfishness. Solitude is selfish, isn't it, at its heart? It is but it's so hard to escape from. I haven't left this town or this home. I haven't left these people who respect and care for me, even if they see me only seldom. I haven't left the man by the sea, even if I don't always see or hear him. That is all I can tell you about myself this week. It's all I have in my heart to tell you about myself this week. I have been so full of self-loathing and fear of what you'll think of me if I slip up, yet again, and become the dark thing that I often let myself become. I've been so afraid of it, that I'm afraid it has done you a disservice. Instead, I shall quickly get to the story I've prepared for you. Enough wallowing in my own conflict. Here is a story. There once was a queen who reigned over her kingdom with wisdom, fairness, and a love of her people that was unmatched in all the rulers before her. She was the first queen of her kingdom, having been preceded by centuries and centuries of kings. She understood that this would come with its own set of challenges. The fact that her kingdom was unused to a woman sitting on the throne and so she cultivated a thick skin, a strong posture, and an impenetrable expression to her face that gave away nothing. She wanted to be the strongest person in the kingdom for her people. She deeply loved being queen, and she was most careful when it came to securing her throne. Many princes from other kingdoms came and proposed marriage. But when she informed them that she did not intend to take a king but only a consort, they rescinded their offers and sailed home. Except for one. He was an ambitious prince, young but with a dark kind of mischief in his eyes. A mischief that, unfortunately, our queen mistook for charm. And while she herself had no interest in cultivating such fleeting, frivolous qualities in herself, she found herself admiring him for it. And he knew it. For months and months he charmed her, courting her. And when she told him what she told the others, that he could never be king if they married, he, unlike the others, stayed. He held her hand even more tightly. His eyes sparkled even more. He would be content to be her servant, he said. He would even be content to sleep outside her chamber window with the dogs if it meant being close to her. He did not need to be king, 
He only needed to be with her. And there was a part of her, small and lonely and frail, that she had hidden away for so long, that let herself fall into his arms and into his sweet words. She fell in love. Not with him, for she didn't truly know the real him. But she fell in love with the idea of a man who wanted her for her, and not for her crown. This misplaced love was, perhaps, her first and only real mistake, and it would be her last. When she finally accepted his proposal, there was a surprisingly humble ceremony. She did not want to show her people that she wanted to spend the kingdom's money on a lavish, glorious wedding, and she did not want them to mistake such an event for a kind of coronation for him. As with most things, she kept her cards close to her chest with everyone, except for him. This modest wedding was the only thing he seemed momentarily displeased about but he held his tongue and remained devoted and sweet to her. Now, of course, this man was a usurper. He was hungry for power, a snake waiting to strike. But he was a clever snake. He would bide his time so as not to raise suspicion. He would wait for the perfect moment, and that's when the clever poison he kept in his breast pocket would come out to play. It was something that had been newly developed in his country, and would most likely be undetectable by any doctors or healers here. He had been sent over with it, and when he eventually would wrestle the throne from her, this wise and peaceful kingdom's resources and armies and ships would supply his father's homeland well in the upcoming war he intended to wage. It happened one evening, a few weeks into their marriage when they were sitting in her chambers, sipping wine and playing a game of chess. She was winning. She had her queen, both bishops, a castle, a knight, and a few pawns, while he had only his king, one knight, one bishop, and two pawns. But he didn't seem concerned. That charming smile was still on his face as he praised her cleverness and wisdom. For, you see, he had found a moment to refill their cups and slip the poison into hers, and he was merely waiting for it to work its will. And it did. As she felt the terrible burning pain searing her esophagus and then everything else, her eyes looked at him with horror and rage. His eyes remained charming and smiling as his queen collapsed in front of him. She was dead, and she hadn't named a successor. No one knew what to do. Her counselors hadn't spoken to her about who should rule after her. As I said, she played her cards close to her chest, and she hadn't shared any plans with anyone. The queen's husband would normally be king after her, but the counselors were hesitant to crown him given how vocal she was about not wanting any husband of hers to be king. But, when a very prompt messenger from his father's kingdom came pledging allegiance and support only if they named the consort as king, 
they reluctantly agreed that he would have to do. She was buried in the tomb under the castle, kept in a marble grave. There was an extravagant coronation ceremony this time. When the people saw him, standing from the window waving and wearing their beloved queen's crown, they were confused and afraid. They did not know this man. They suspected the truth, but could do nothing about it. They were infuriated by his charming smile so soon after his wife's death, but they could do nothing about it, and all of his new decrees involved sending troops overseas, rationing the people's food so that it might be sent over to his father's land, raising their taxes so that he could build more ships, and they could do nothing about it. Every night he would sit in the rooms that were once hers, but now his. The chessboard was left exactly the same as it was the night she died, except that, in a gesture of not-so-subtle poetic imagery, he had knocked her queen over on its side. One night, however, he sat by his fireplace, sipping wine, and he heard the door creak open. He scolded whichever servant he thought it was for interrupting his peace. But when he did not hear the door close again, he stood and turned to face them. There she was. Her skin was gray as a corpse's. Her eyes were clouded over and mostly white, and her features were sunken and grave. However, her hair was still elaborately piled up on her head, and her gowns were regal and lovely, if only a little dusty. She was dead, but she was here, somehow. He dropped his glass, and it shattered at his feet. She stared at him, her expression stoic and unflinching as it had been before her death. She extended a hand towards the chessboard, not even looking at it, and she made a move. Queen takes pawn. And she turned and left. She walked through the door and didn't bother to close it behind her. He was shaking, and tears fell down his face in terror. After a minute, he willed his limbs to work, and he ran to the door. He didn't see her, but he saw a guard standing vigilant. He asked the guard if he'd seen anyone, but the guard merely shook his head no. The usurper king didn't sleep that night. He was agitated, his eyes red and his hands shaking for all of the next day. No one asked him what was wrong, for no one in the kingdom cared. The next night she came again. She entered through the door to his room. He had ordered a guard to stand watch outside and not let anyone in, but somehow she entered again. As soon as those empty white eyes fell on him, he started weeping again. He shrank in his armchair and held a sword in front of him, his trembling hands causing it to shake. She only stood and watched him. He demanded to know what she wanted, how she was here, what sorcery brought her back. But she did not answer. Her face, 
unsmiling, remained fixed on him again as she moved the chess pieces again and continued to play. Queen takes night. And she turned from him, slowly walking away and leaving the room again. He ran to the door and the guard was there. Screaming, he demanded to know who had let her in and why the door was open. The guard insisted he saw nothing and that the queen was dead and couldn't have been there. Again, the king didn't sleep. The next day he was frantic and very unwell. Everywhere in the throne room he could swear he saw her waiting, watching. When counselors came to him to update the king on the status of his troops and supplies, he could not answer. He could not tell them what to do. A messenger from his father came again and he turned them away. He was hallucinating, feverish, and weak. And no one in the kingdom cared to offer him help, guidance, or even kindness. She came again the next night, of course. He was waiting for her. He stood in the corner for hours and hours waiting for her to come, holding his sword and shield, trembling. And she came through the door and watched him, standing by the chessboard again. He bellowed at her, intending to end this. He charged at her with his sword, but she caught his wrist in an icy steel grip. She looked him in the eye, and her white, empty eyes made him scream and scream, lost in some kind of guilty fever dream when he saw endless ice and death in her eyes. But she remained still, except for her other hand that moved the chess pieces once more. Queen takes Bishop. He scrambled away from her, weeping. She turned from him again and left. Minutes went by, and still weeping like a child, he went to the door again. The guard was there once more. He begged the guard, begged him with every fiber of his being to tell him that he also saw the dead queen come through the door. He needed to know that it wasn't in his imagination, and that this was an opponent he could defeat. The guard insisted that he saw nothing but he did give him a little knowing smile and a cold glance of his eyes. He knew. He had known all along. The king did not sleep again, and the next day he was pale and drawn, trembling and hallucinating, terribly ill and feverish. He sat on his throne and was surrounded by counselors, servants, and all other kinds of people from within the kingdom of different class and position. He had hardly bothered to take the time to get to know any of them, but it seemed there were many of them here today. He was holding court, and he barely even knew it. He was breathing heavily and denied any food or drink. Perhaps it was the hallucinations, but he could swear they were all staring at him, and none of them were smiling. They all looked upon him like the wretch he truly was, and it horrified him. And the two large stone doors to the throne room opened, and she walked through them.
The crowd parted, and she slowly walked into the room towards the king. Her people watched her, eyes wide and blood drained from their faces, as they saw what was clearly a corpse. The corpse of their beloved queen. She whose will was so strong that it defied death itself. She whose love of her kingdom was so steadfast that she refused to leave it in the hands of a despot. She moved slowly because she had to, her limbs stiff with death. And the king hollered and wept and begged and cried, but no one came to his aid. She kept coming closer to him, and the closer she came, the more horrified he was by her appearance and the way she moved, but mostly by the look in her eyes, those clouded eyes that he had to look deeply into to know that she was staring only at him. She had the empty eyes of a statue that may have been made of her one day. She stopped right in front of him on the throne and held up her hand in a fist. He cowered, thinking she would strike him or tear out his heart. But she opened the fist and a chess piece fell out and landed at her feet. It was his king. He had lost. Queen takes king. And he cried out in pain, sinking down from the throne, clutching his chest. This fever, this illness, whatever was brought on by these sleepless nights he'd spent with his corpse queen, had finally defeated him. And his body gave up and his heart gave out. He died at the foot of the throne, frozen in an expression of agonized terror. She sat on the throne. Her people gazed on her, and they all immediately fell to their knees, uttering an admiring unison. Your grace. This story reminds me that people are more afraid of certain kinds of monsters than they are of others. People are more aware of things like that queen and things like me than I give them credit for. Than I give you credit for. So I stay. For now. Good night, dear friends.
Hello and thanks so much for listening to episode 63 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen here, and if you're new to the show, I write, perform, and produce the show. I hope you're enjoying the springtime so far. Um, my usual housekeeping things, if you want to support the show, one of the best way to do so is to give us a rating and review on iTunes. That's super helpful, but if you'd rather, you can also do this on Stitcher or leave us a recommendation on Facebook. I like to shout out reviews here on the show so you may hear your words on an upcoming episode. Next, you can donate to the show on Coffee, where you can buy me a coffee. You can find me there at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. I also have a Patreon page, and if you become a monthly patron there, you can gain access to my soundtrack, which I update weekly. My Patreon page is at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. I know that I alternate between saying Patreon and Patreon. Um, hmm. And if you like the show and want some awesome wearable merch, you can buy a shirt or hoodie at bonfire.com slash on dash a dash dark dash cold dash night. All of these links are available at my website, kristenzaza.com slash podcast, so you can also head over there for more information. You can also follow the show on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, and on our Facebook or YouTube pages. Thank you again for listening and spreading the word about the show. It is so very appreciated. Have a wonderful week, my friends. Take care.